1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, look this way if you will. You know, we've been announcing now for several weeks that our spring revival meeting begins this evening. And I know, I get it, I'm like you, that we're living in very busy days, very busy, very busy times. The days are getting longer. The leaves and the limbs that had broken off the trees during the wintertime, the winds that had blown all over the yard, I get that. The grass needs mowing. Uh, flowers need planting. Gardens need planting. I get all that. Little League started back up again. School's going on. You've got to work every day of your life. And you're going to really have to make an effort to, to attend this revival meeting. But the Lord knows if there's ever been a time that we've needed revival, it's in these days in which we're living in. If there's ever been a time that we've needed to slip up and get closer to the Lord, it is in these days. And that's what revival meeting really is all about. It is a time for you and I, a great opportunity to get back to the place where we used to be with the Lord. Well, realizing... Uh, where we're at today in this service, I want us to look at one of the main reasons why we need revival. One of the main reasons that our church needs revival. One of the main reasons that we, as God's people, individually need to experience a revival meeting. So this morning, I want to preach on this thought right here. I want to preach on the tragedy of laying down on God. The tragedy of laying down on God. Now, in our text this morning, we read about a man who laid down on God. His name was Eli, and the Bible simply says of Eli that he laid down and went to sleep. I want you to read with me now 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse number 1. Stay with me. It'll take me just a moment to get to the message as I kind of build up through some, uh, uh, some information here. But look at verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli, here it is now, when Eli was laid down in his place. And his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now, I'm preaching this morning about this man by the name of Eli. And I get it. I'm kind of like you. He's not more uh, one of the more prominent people that we find in the Bible. We don't know Eli as well as maybe we do like a Moses or a David or even a Peter. And yet, uh, we come to understand from our text here that Eli was a pretty important man in that particular day. The Bible tells us that Eli was a judge and a priest in that in-between time of our Bible. Now, when I talk about the in-between time of our Bible, I'm referencing that period of time between the deaths of Moses and Joshua up until the time that the nation of Israel got her kings. Best I can tell, that's a period of about 350 years. Moses and Joshua, the great leaders of the nation of Israel. And then, of course, we know that Israel's going to get her king like Saul and David and Solomon and so forth on down the line. But up in... Uh, between that time that Joshua passed off the scene and Israel gets her king is a period of about 350 years. 
But uh, never fear, God was not without his leaders during that particular time, uh, that particular time period. In that in-between time, God had his leaders, but they were known as judges. We have a book in our Bible called the book of Judges, and those were some of the people that led the nation of Israel in that in-between time. One of those judges was this man by the name of Eli. But let me tell you a little bit about Eli, what kind of elevated him above all the other judges was the fact that not only was Eli a judge, but Eli was also a high priest in the nation of Israel. Now, there was not a more important position in all the land of Israel, spiritually speaking, than to be the high priest in the land of Israel. The high priest is the man who represented God to the people of Israel, but he also represented the people of Israel back to God. But not only was he the spiritual leader in the land, he was also the national leader in the land, the political leader in the land as well. If anybody had a question in the nation of Israel, you would go see Eli for some wisdom regarding that question. And yet in our text this morning, we read that he laid down and he went to sleep. Now, I want you to listen to this phrase right here because I heard an old mountain preacher one time say this. He said, when it gets dark, he said, bad people head off to the parties and good people head off to bed. Now, you stop and think about that for just a moment. There's a lot of wisdom in that one statement. When it gets dark, bad people go to the parties and good people go to bed. Now, let me say we're living in a day and age when it's getting dark spiritually all around us. It's dark nationally. It's dark politically. It's dark morally. It's dark financially. But greatest of all, it is dark spiritually in our day. I realize we're living in a day and age of great technological and medical advantage and thank God for the strides that we're making in those areas. But I'm telling you, it's just as dark today as it's ever been when it comes to anything spiritual. And I'm afraid that in these dark days, bad people are heading off to the parties while good people are going to bed. Just like Samuel, many of God's people have laid down on God. They have gone to sleep. You know, when you go to sleep, you kind of lose consciousness of reality, what's going on around you. And that was the story of this man by the name of Eli. And I said that to say this, boy, we need a revival. We need an awakening. We need for God to stir us and to cause us to rouse up out of our sleep once again and get back on our feet again for God's glory. I'm praying this revival meeting that God will just stir us up. Hey, I'm praying God will wake us up, friend. Hey, I'm praying God will fire us up once again and we'll get back to God close to God like we used to be. Well, that's the story of this man by the name of Eli. Really, there are three statements I want to call your attention to as I'm working my way toward the message this morning about this man by the name of Eli. Let's go back to second, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter number 1, and I want you to see the first statement made about Eli. When we run into him in the Scripture, there's something said about him. I notice, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 9. The Bible said, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, there he is. There's the same man we're talking about in chapter 3. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. So the first time that we read about Eli in verse number 9, watch this now, we find him sitting down. The Bible said that he sat upon a seat by a post in the temple temple 
of the Lord. So first time we run into him, he's sitting down. Now I know you may be sitting there thinking, preacher, big deal. What's the big deal about all that? Uh, Eli the priest is sitting down. But you've got to remember that the one thing that the Old Testament tabernacle did not have, there was one thing that temp, that tabernacle, later on that temple, that, that it did not have. I mean, of course, we know that it had an altar for God's people to come and meet with God. We know that it had a labor for the priest to wash before they entered into the holy place. We noticed that once they got inside of the holy place, we know there was a table of showbread for them to eat as they ministered by the, for the Lord. We know there was a candlestick that gave light in that dark place so they could see what they were doing. We know right in front of them was an altar of incense that constantly incense was being offered up uh, to the Lord. We know there was a big veil back there that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. We know behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the cherubims made out of pure gold. We know the tabernacle had all that in it, but the one thing the tabernacle did not have in it, it did not have a chair in it. You know why? Because the priest was never ever to sit down in that tabernacle. There was no chair there. There was no couch for him to lay down on. There was no chair. There was not even a fold-up chair in the corner so he could sit down on. He was constantly standing and ministering before the Lord. That's the reason when we come to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 11, we read these words, and every priest, say it with me now, and every priest doeth what? He standeth daily, ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifice sacrifices which could never take away sins. We learned from that verse that that Old Testament priest was constantly standing. He was on his feet. He was ministering before the Lord. He was presenting those sacrifices. He was taking care of things there in the house of God and there was no time to sit. He was constantly on his feet, constantly serving God, ministering before the Lord. And by the way, I couldn't read that verse without reading the next verse. So let me just throw this in in parentheses. The Bible said, but this man, speaking about Jesus Christ, aren't you glad for God's son, the Lord Jesus? This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, those Old Testament priests were constantly bringing their sin offerings and offering sin offerings on the behalf of the people. But thank God when Jesus come, as God's great high priest and marched up Calvary's hill under the weight of an old rugged cross, he offered up one sacrifice for sins forever. That's why you didn't have to drag a lamb with you to church this morning. That's why you didn't have to bring a turtle dove. Bless your heart. That's why you didn't have to pull a bullock down the mountain this morning. You know why? God's son Jesus offered one sacrifice for sin and to signify it was once and for all accepted by God. The Bible said that he sat down on the right hand of God. The work is completed, Jesus was saying. One of the statements that he made while he was over the cross was the statement, it is a finish. Bless your heart, you can't lift a finger nor a foot to help God to save you this morning. The work's been completed. Hey, you don't have to bring a $500 check. Bless your heart, you don't have to go to Forsyth Hospital and get your gallbladder took out. You can come just like you are this morning, just like you walked in, just like you drove up in the clothes you got on. You can come to God this morning and because of what Jesus did, God will save you by his grace this morning. But that Old Testament priest could never sit down. Now that tells us something. There's something wrong with Eli. You know why? He's sitting down 
on the job. But the next time we read about it is in chapter number 3 in our text this morning. And now we find after he sat down that he laid down. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Bible said that Eli was laid down in his place. Now I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's, let me say this. Notice the digression. He sat down and now he's laying down. But we ain't through yet. There's one more statement made about him. Look over in chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and look, if you will, about verse number, I don't know, maybe verse number 18 now. The ark of God has been stolen by the Philistines. Uh, Eli's two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. The ark of God has been taken, so says verse 17. The Bible said it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, talking about Eli now, he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck break and he died. Watch the progression. He sat down, he laid down, now he fell down. Did you see that progression? I mean, it all started. What you say, preacher, where did it go wrong for Eli? It went wrong when he sat down. Sat down on God. And if that wasn't bad enough, after he sat down, he just, he just laid down. And he wound up, after he laid down, he wound up falling down, and his story comes to a tragic conclusion. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you something. That's the way it works uh, for the people of God. You know, sometimes we, we, we make this statement. Sometimes we'll say, so-and-so. Maybe we say, boy, that man went out and fell into sin. Or we say, boy, she went out and fell into sin. But let me just stop and say, uh, sometimes I think we imply by that that it just happened all at once. But ladies and gentlemen, people just don't go out and all at once fall into sin. I promise you, somewhere back down the road, they sat down. Somewhere back down the road, they laid down, and, and before they ever fell down, they sat down, and they laid down. You know what we need a revival of? We need a revival of God's people getting up out of our sleep again. Hey, we need a revival of God's people getting up out of their sin again. Hey, we need a revival of God's people getting up out of the bed again. We need a revival of God's people getting off the seat again and getting back on their feet, and bless your heart, ministering for the Lord once again. Oh, yeah, the tragic story. Of Eli. But I want you to look in chapter number three, and here's the message this morning. I want to preach a little bit about this. What happens when you lay down on God? I want you to look right here in our text this morning because we find three things that happens when Eli laid down on God. And these same three things will happen to you, they'll happen to me if we lay down on God, if we give up, if we, if we just quit, we quit serving God. You know, many are sitting here in this room today and, boy, things have been rough in your life recently. Boy, it's been tough at the house. It's been tough on the job. And, boy, the devil's been sitting right on your shoulder saying, boy, if you just quit serving God, things might get a little better. Boy, if you'd give up, just throw in the towel and wave the white flag of surrender. If you'd just quit serving God, things would get better, dramatically better in your life. But I just want to stop and say again, he's a liar and the father of all lies. Nothing's going to be made better, better by you laying down on God. Nothing's going to be made better than you quitting on God. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't do it. Hey, let's pray. God, revive us again. God, stir us up again. Hey, God, wake us up again. Hey, God, fire us up again. Help us to get up off the stool and the seed of do nothing and start ministering before the Lord once again. Three things, look in our text. Number one, when Eli laid down, number one, 
He let his church down. He let his church down. You see, when Eli, when he lay down, it affected what happened at his church. Now we're told, let me, let me show you two statements in 1 Samuel chapter number 3 that, that leads me to make this statement. Boy, it was bad times in the house of God. It was bad in the country of the nation of Israel. You've got to understand that. It was really bad in the country itself, nationally speaking in Israel. At this particular time, it was bad. Uh, the book of Judges has its uh, seeds planted in the soil of the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth has its seeds planted in the soils of the book of Judges. And the truth of the matter is, nationally speaking, it was dark days. You read those last chapters of the book of Judges. You know what some people call those last chapters of the book of Judges? They call it the armpit of the Bible because everything in those chapters stinks real bad. It's called the cesspool of the Bible. I mean, there was homosexuality, there was adultery, there was ungodliness, there was idolatry. I'm telling you, if it was, if it was bad, it was going on in Israel. And if there was ever a time when Israel needed the church, if there was ever a time when Israel needed a man of God to stand up and, 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 and pray and, and beseech God and, call, and have power in his life, it was in those days, and yet we read that, oh, Eli has laid down, and when he laid down, he let his church down. Let me show you two statements. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible said in the last sentence of verse 1, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking because I think the same way. The word precious, you know, to us means it's treasured. It means it's cherished, and it means it's loved. If you have something that's precious to you, it's something that's very valuable, it's something that you desire greatly, and yet that's what, not what the word precious means in this verse. The word precious simply means this. It means scarce or it means sparse or it means rare. In our terminology, we say it like this. The word of God was few and far between in those days. Maybe I could say it like this. The nation of Israel was going off into sin. And watch this. God had grown strangely quiet. God was no longer speaking like he used to speak. The Bible said there at the end of verse number 1 of chapter 3, there was no open vision. God wasn't even showing up. There was no visions. There was no angels. There was no word from God. I mean, it was a dark day in the land of Israel. And then if you'll jump down to chapter 3 and verse number 3, we read these words. If that isn't bad enough, now we read this in verse number 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, wait a minute. What's that saying? Well, that's saying, watch this now. The lights were going out. I mean, that lampstand, that, that, that uh, verse number 3 talks about that lamp of God, that lampstand. God had already given commandment from his lips, from his mind, his heart, to the heart of Moses. And Moses communicated it to the heart of the priest that that lamp was to never go out. Look at this verse in Exodus chapter number 27, verse 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light. Watch this phrase now. To cause the lamp to burn 
always. That word always means forever. It means continually. And the one thing God intended for ha- to happen inside of that Old Testament tabernacle was for the light to stay on. And God never intended for it to grow dark inside of the house of God. God wanted the light to stay on. And yet Samuel, evidently, in his, in his laying down, he is neglecting some of the things that are going on right there in the house of God. That lamp represented the presence of God. And evidently, Eli, as he laid down, was neglecting certain things, uh, the certain things, sacred things in the house of God. And one of those things being neglected was attending to that lamp, being sure there was oil in it, trimming the wigs, keeping it pure, keeping it burning. And he just lost his desire, and he went to bed, and the lamp of God went out in the house of God. Can I stop and say, the lights are going out in our land today. I'm talking about spiritually, friend. The lights are going out. All across America this morning, in churches, listen, people are going to gather together in churches where it's got strangely dark inside of the house of God. You know why? I'll tell you why. The lights have gone out. Let me just say, God always intended for the lamp to stay on inside the church. God always intended for the church to have its presence and to have its power. But isn't it sad that all across America this morning, people are going to get themselves up out of the bed. They're going to dress themselves. They're going to grab their Bible. They're going to get in their car. They're going to ride a church bus. They're going to go off to church somewhere, and they're going to walk into a place that no longer has the lamp of God. The lights have gone out. Hey, friend, the presence of God has withdrawn from that place. Can I just stop and say one of the greatest testimonies this church could ever give to this community is the fact that after 103 years, thank God the lights are still on around here. Amen. Hey, thank God every once in a while, maybe not always, but every once in a while, you can walk into the house of God. Hey, there'll be a little light flickering and God will show up and the presence of God will become real and the tears will start flowing and the shouts and the praises of God's people will lift up to the rafters. You know why? I'll tell you why. Bless your heart. The lights are still on. Is it not sad? Is it not sad that in so many churches the lights have gone out? Can I have an amen? The preach, the preacher laid down started neglecting some things, sacred and holy things, things that what God gave commandment about and they're now being neglected and swept under the rug and because of that, the Spirit of God has been grieved and God has left that place. You know, there's hardly a week, listen to me, there's hardly a week, maybe two or three weeks, but there's hardly a long period of time in my life that passes that I don't meet somebody that rode a church bus to Woodland Baptist Church. Amen. That's right. Sometimes if I'm out somewhere, maybe eating lunch or whatever, somebody will hear, hear us talking or they'll, I don't know how they find out. Somebody say, hey, that's the preacher or whatever. And they'll come over to us or maybe as we're sitting there or as I'm at the doctor or Walmart or wherever. And they'll call and say, you know, I used to ride a church bus to Woodland. You did? Yeah. Hooch bus? Do you remember the bus captain's name? Someone would say, oh, it's Brother Don Melvin. Oh, Brother Don Melvin. Amen. Oh, Brother Don, I rode his church bus. Somebody would say, oh, it's Brother Lenny Willard. I used to ride Lenny Willard's church bus over there to church. And can I tell you something? One of the greatest testimonies that we could ever give to those kids that back in the 60s and 70s and the 80s rode the church buses over here to Woodland. Aren't you so glad they can still run by the church and say, after all these years... The lights are still on in there. 
After all these years, hey, after all these years, the lamp's still burning in there. After all these years, they're still meeting over there at church. After all these years, there's still folks getting saved. After all these years, there's still folks getting helped. And listen to me, they may say, well, I heard their preacher died. That old-fashioned preacher they used to have in there that stomped and spit and sputtered and snorted and preached about everything, he passed off the scene. But you know something? I heard they got him one just like him. He's stomping and snorting and spitting and fussing about everything. He's still up there preaching. After all these years, uh, 40, 50 years, still ride by this church. Maybe they're married now. Maybe they're grandparents, got grandkids. Maybe they're senior saints, but they still can ride by the church and say, after all these years, the lights are still on in there. Bless your heart, I want these kids that are coming over here now on the church buses. Boy, I tell you, I appreciate those children that ride the church buses, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 14, 15. Bless your heart, if the Lord don't come, I believe he is, but if he don't come next 25 or 30 years, they're grown now, they've got children of their own, perhaps even grandparents, but what a testimony of this community when they still ride up Highway 65 or they ride down Highway 52. They see that old Woodland Baptist Church over there, and yeah, 35 years later, they got a new preacher that those other two that stomped, spit, and snorted didn't have any hair on their head, they passed off the scene, but they got them another one that stomps and spits and snorts and preaches against everything and as I ride down the road I used to go there and the thing has never changed is the lights are still on in there that's why we need revival we got to keep the lights on friend what happened to Eli number one it affected his church it affected, when he laid down ladies and gentlemen we, don't, we can't lay down we got to stay awake. We got to get up. We got to stay at it. We got to keep ministering. Yes, I know people come. Yes, I know they go. Some people come in like a stars at night and they, and they shoot off. You know, I was standing out on the back deck of the house not long ago. We don't have no street lights where we live. And it's dark. I'm telling you, it's darker than a, a thousand midnights up there. But standing on the deck, you see an old shooting star shoot across and, uh, you know, the atmosphere and burn out. And that excites us. It makes us happy when we see that. I I go in and tell my wife, honey, there was a star that just shot across the sky. Uh, there's a meteor shower or something going on. There's two or three I saw. But I tell you what blesses my heart. It's not that crowd that shoots across the atmosphere. But bless your heart, all them stars, after all these years, they're still right there where God put them at. And I thank God for you folks that have been here for a long time and you've seen them come across the atmosphere. You've seen them shoot across. You've seen them go off in great blaze and glory. And they've caused a lot of commotion. But they gone. They burn out now. But I thank God for them stars that's still right there where they were when they got saved by the grace of God. And they're still serving God. I'm talking to you this morning. Hey, stay, get off your seat. Get on your feet. Don't let the lights go out. It affected what happened in his church. Number two, watch this. It affected what happened in his children. In his children. Look what happened in our text. 1 Samuel chapter 3, he lays down and he goes to bed. And the Bible said there in verse number 3 that Samuel, Samuel's just a young and Most people think he's probably about 10 years old at this time. Samuel went laid down, went to sleep. The Bible said the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou calls me, verse 5. He said, I call thee, not lie down again. Isn't it a sight that people who lay down want others to lay down? Can I have an amen? 
You know, it makes us feel better. If other people lay down, we're not feeling so guilty that we've laid down. Hey, Samuel runs in there. Hey, hey, Eli, you called me. You called me. No, I didn't lay down. Go back to bed, boy. It makes us, there's certain, just certain something about makes us feel good when we ain't doing right if other people around us ain't doing. That's why you don't need to hang out with that crowd. If you're asleep this morning, get around somebody that's awake. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, we had a dog. We had two, always had a dog. We had one named Boots, the other named Brownie when I was growing up. <clears throat> and Mama would come in there and wake us up so we had to go catch the school bus in the morning. And she'd come in there and flick a light on. That irritated the fire out of me. But I tell you what got me more than that when she let the dog in the house. And that dog come up, jumped right in the middle of that bed. Used to aggravate me to death. But can I tell you something? It got me up. You don't need to hang around that crowd that's laid down. If you, lay, if you get around that crowd, you're going to lay down too. They're going to encourage you to lay down. You need to get around somebody that's got a little life to them. Somebody that's awake this morning. And the Bible said here that Eli laid down. Samuel, he told him to go lay down. Lay down. But here's, here's the verse that got me. I look at verse number. Y'all help me find it here. Uh, it's verse number, and, and where's it at? It's in this chapter somewhere. And it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Have y'all seen that verse? Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Hold it. Hold it, hold it, time out. He's 10 years old. He's living in the high priest's house. And he don't know the Lord. He don't know anything about the word of the Lord. Look at me. Somebody's letting down somewhere. 10 years old. Hey, Samuel, uh, Eli can't force him to be saved. I get that. That's a choice Eli, uh, Samuel's got to make. We can't force our kids to be saved. They can't ride in on our coattails. They've got to make that choice themselves. I get all that. But if you're living in the preacher's house and you're 10 years old, you ought to know about him if you don't know him. Can I have an Amen. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Are you kidding me? Somebody's letting, on, let, letting the ball drop. Somebody's letting down on the job. Oh, I get it. Yeah, he's laid down. I mean, here's this kid. Here's this boy. That's, and I get it. I know. I know she's, he's, she's uh, 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 Samuel is Hannah's boy. I get that. I understand that story. But he's under the responsibility of Eli because she carried him up there and dropped him off the house of God when he was just a child. Can I have an Amen. She dropped him off up there. Here he is years later living in the preacher's house. He don't even know the boy. He, he don't even know the Lord. And wait a minute, this is not even to mention Eli's other two boys, Hophni and Timaeus. Uh, Phineas. You talk about a train wreck. Them boys was a train wreck. They were getting drunk. They were laying with women right at the very door of the house of God. They were embezzling. They were threatening to beat people up. The Bible said it was so bad back in chapter number 2 because of what them boys was doing. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, that people abhorred the offering. They hated going to church because of what the preacher's kids were doing. Wait a minute. Somebody needs to get up. Somebody needs to take a stand. Somebody needs to say enough is enough. But I'm here to tell you, when he laid down, it not only let his church down, but he let his entire family down when he laid down. I want you to look at me. Look up on the screens. I want you to get this. Watch this. When we as parents stop doing good things, 
our children will start doing bad things. When we stop, when we lay down, when we lay down as God's people, it ain't going to be long that our kids have just completely conked out on the Lord. Listen to this. The inconsistency in our lives will manifest and multiply itself in the lives of our children. Let me say it like this. What we tolerate in our children's lives, it'll dominate. That's why we better get up. That's why we better seek the Lord. We better wake up. You know why? Because when we lay down, it not only affects our church, the lights go out. It affects our children. There's no hope for them. And last of all, number three, we lay down, we let our country down. Look over in chapter four and I'm done. We're done. You about had all you can take of this and I about had all I can say about it. Can I have an amen? But in 1 Samuel chapter number four, the nation of Israel, I've already made a mess. I've already made mention. The church is in a mess. Families are in a mess. And now we find in chapter 4 the country's in a mess. They head off in chapter 4 to fight with the Philistines, verse number 1. The, the war, the battle is about, to, uh, is about to break out. And the Bible said, but right before they go off to war, in verse number 5, somebody says, hey, go grab the ark of God. Go get the ark. In other words, that ark, more than any other piece of article of furniture in that Old Testament tabernacle, represented the presence of God, more so than any other article in that Old Testament So they say this, we're going to go fight this battle. Y'all go grab the rabbit's foot. Hey, y'all go get the Aladdin's lamp. Let's rub on it a little bit. Y'all go get the four-leaf clover. Let's, let's, let's do it like this just a little bit. We'll go get the ark and everything will be all right. And I done told you what happened. They went to battle and I'm telling you the Philistines whooped the fire out of these boys and they stole the ark of God. Now watch this and this is where I'm going and I'm done. Best I can tell starting in chapter 4 until the nation of Israel gets all the way over into the end of uh, 2 Samuel, uh, the, the first part of 2 Samuel. Watch this now. The ark of God stays out of the land of Israel, stays out of the house of God. The Philistines take it. They, they, can't, they can't handle it. I mean, they're dying. They're getting disease. They're getting, excuse me, but I'm just quoting the Bible. They get hemorrhoids. That's in the Bible, hemorrhoids. I mean, God is striking them down with judgment. They finally say, we got to get rid of this thing. They put it on the back of a cart, draw them by two oxen, switch them all auctions. They take off and go back into the land of Kerjath-Jerim. And the ark of God stays there for 70 years out of the house of God. What I tell you the ark represented? Oh, it represented the presence of God. So for the next 70 years, the nation of Israel is going to go to church without the presence of God. Oh, they still got the priesthood. They still got the other articles of furniture. They've still got the laver and the altar. and They've still got the, the table of showbread. But watch the most important thing about church. I thank God we still got an organ and a piano. I'm glad we got a, I'm glad we got a choir. I thank God we got a pulpit. Amen. Can I tell you this? We drug this stuff up here out of the other church. We drug that piano out of that church down there up to this church. We drug that organ out of that church down there. This pulpit is the pulpit that used to sit down there at the Patterson Avenue location. And we brought it all up here. You know why? What we were saying is it ain't going to change. It ain't going to change. And bless your heart, if I live or whoever lives to build that building over there, 
I'm telling you, I'm leaving my last will and testament. Drag that piano out of here over there and take that organ out of here and put it over there and under God, take this pulpit out of here and put it over there. You know why? It ain't gonna change over there neither. But the most important thing this church could ever have is not an organ or a piano and not even a pulpit. It's him. And all across America, people are going to go to some church today and the presence of God's going to be gone because somebody a generation two ago laid down and went to sleep and the, and the air of the temple of the, uh, the, the, the lamp of the Lord went out in the temple of the Lord and the next generation or two is going to have to go to church and not have the presence of God. I said all that to say this. You know some people say, man, if we could just somehow, don't be mad at me. I'm saying what people are saying. Okay, if you get mad at me, get mad at people. If we could just get Trump back in the White House, it would be MAGA. Can I tell you something? Look at me in these blue eyes of mine, and I'm done, but I'm going to tell you something. We can get Trump back in the White House if we want to, but until we get God back in the church house, America's sunk. Can I have an amen? And it'll only happen when God's people get off the bed and out of the chair and start living for God again. Amen. The tragedy of laying down on God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible.